0: A generations of Jedi Knights the guardians of the peace of justice and War, and War of the Dark hello and welcome back to a people's history of the Old Republic as always, my name is Luke and I am joined by Kelsey and we are here today to talk to you about uh, more about the politics of the force and more about the the cosmic force uh but before we get there we do have a uh, question for uh for the week and uh, this comes from uh, one of our patrons kobayashi who asks or says talk about the cosmic force and living force as a trinity like entity or conversely why that is not the case um, okay. So, uh, Kelsey, you are a, uh, a man of God and a man of letters. Um, uh, <laughs> can you please explain, uh, to the good people what the Trinity means in the, uh, in the Christian aspect? I mean, you know, they probably know it means three and
1: everything, but you know, what are we talking about here? Sure. Well, I'm certainly at least at the minimum, a man of letters. Um, but the Trinity, as we understand it is a, uh religious doctrine and understanding of um of the divine in catholic tradition um that is three distinct entities the father the son and the holy ghost and they are all distinct from each other but they are also all god it's a um long-standing doctrine that was established um could believe we trace its origins i mean it, it predates the nicene creed but that's really it sort of gets codified Um, So that's when when the uh, Emperor Constantine says, no, 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 we need to have all of this be one thing. Um, And that's where we get a bunch of uh, heresies spin off um, from that. You could trace their origins to rejection of it. Um, This is where where my own tradition, the Unitarians can trace their origin from getting kicked out of that. Um, And then, uh, but so that's the Trinity, right? That's the Trinity is that there's this, We, the entity we refer to as God manifests in three distinct ways, but also they're all, they're all God. They are all distinct from each other, but that's sort of what we're talking about. Um, And it's a useful way to sort of frame how is it possible to have like God and the son, like the father and the son. Um, and then the Holy Spirit is, as my understanding, which uh, people who are actually raised in Trinitarian traditions would do a much better job of this, but my understanding is it's sort of how you plug in the connective tissue of um, the divine and everything else. But that's how you get a distinct thing, and it's a way to resolve the controversy of Jesus being different from God um, or the, the Father being different from the Son. And it's, well, no, they're both the same and different um and we're just going to roll with that for uh thousands <laughs> for close to 2000 years now yeah.
0: and uh they uh despite d- despite the fact that that is the prevailing uh um prevailing orthodoxy now uh that was a very very hotly contested um hotly contested uh uh Piece of doctrine when uh, b- back in the day. I mean, it, it plagued uh, it, it plagued the Roman Empire. It's called uh, was it Arianism? Is that what it was? Um,
1: yeah, it's but, Arianism. Yeah, because you can trace Unitarianism back to Arianism. Arian also went off and like decided to convert um, or made his, his his evangelism took him to a bunch of people who were outside the confines of the uh, Roman Empire, and so you had Arian heresies that were like surprisingly durable. You can um, these controversies all come back with the Protestant Reformation and with a whole bunch of other ideas and people going to the text and interpreting it differently because it started as a big debate among scholars and uh, clergy, which is a small subset of the population in the preliterate world. And when um, and it gets to a huge, massive thing and people start reading into it and don't quite see where the doctrine comes from, even if it gets established there, there's a whole, it's a whole mess of a thing. Um, but I think quote, to, to start winding this back towards Star Wars, we I can <laughs> talk about the Force as having a um, – as we talked about the, the past Jedi, we talked about this, there's a specific literate community of Force scholars. And I just mean literate. The, the Old Republic world is more literate than, uh, than certainly the, uh, the world of the Empire, it appears. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a specific – like the Jedi are the people who keep texts – of the force and interpret and read them um and there doesn't seem to be a big tradition of that throughout the galaxy outside the jedi
0: yeah um yeah so i like i was thinking about it earlier and i was trying to figure out a way to kind of manipulate this into um uh you know kind of manipulate it into the trinity so um you know that the aspects of the trinity are um you know the the three the three heads of god the father the son and the holy ghost um the so the easiest one to map is god as the cosmic force it has a will it has ideas it ha- like it has precepts of what it thinks should be done it has laid those out through its prophets which are you know roughly analogous to like force users or you know i guess they might also be like apostles here you know kind of uh stretching definitions a little um the living force as the holy spirit i think kind of works because the holy spirit in many <laughs> i know i know in many um traditions uh, especially tri- traditions believe that believe you know that, that people can still work signs and miracles today and speak in tongues and things like that they gain that ability through the holy spirit um so i guess like you know kind of how the the jedi the sith other force users gain the ability to manipulate the force through the living force because it's a, it surrounds them and moves through them etc cetera, etc cetera. that's kind of like the holy spirit uh the sun I mean I guess that's Anakin like I mean I guess that's I guess that's how yeah that to
1: work it really and that's what's so I think makes it a sort of weird mapping because um and part of this I think is we do not know what like a New Testament version of the Jedi Order would look like say you know 300 years in the future from um the events of the mm-hmm. skywalker saga um which which you might imagine would be one of those precipitating events and in our um extensive look at the the old history the history of the old republic there doesn't really seem to be a specific religious refounding of the jedi the jedi are sometimes re-established mm-hmm. but they don't we don't have that kind of textual basis I mean unless there's something in KOTOR 2 that I missed no
0: I mean there's there's not it's like that every time the Jedi are reestablished they're reestablished on ideas of what the Jedi are because even though like the Jedi have like this long history and they're hidden troves everywhere like everybody's just kind of basing a new iteration on what they know of the previous iteration so like in in legends and canon like when luke reestablishes his uh his um his temples or, or re-establishes the order he like he does it but he changes up some things you know uh, some precepts some ideas um and he does that because you know he's he's you know learned a little bit and learned from the past and i mean they find stuff but there's never anything where they're like okay we found like the holy of holies of like a book or something like that um that is the literal word of the force or the word of god um it's more of like okay we're going to have to rebuild with a knowledge base and we're going to have to find new Jedi kids. And we're going to like, it's the basic things of like how you would go about building like a new order, you know, just generally, but like, no, there's not like a book or anything. So it's not where it's not something like you're talking about where like people are like doctrinal differences and being like, ah, I'm going to cite first, you know, Yoda the book of first yoda and this other guy's like no 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 the, the you know the the second the second book of nagasadao or what you know it's like uh, you know they're like yeah yoda was good nagasadao was bad uh, you know like
1: <laughs> we don't want to be like the
0: bad guy you know
1: right well well so yeah so i think that's sort of um kind of the problem with directly scrying it on i mean there's a host of things i think it's an interesting exercise regardless but one of the big limitations is we are sort of living in the time or we're we're experiencing the star wars story especially um the the cinematic sort of core canon of it we're experiencing at the time that would be written about and codified later right we are like we'll have we don't yet have a gospel of luke we just have luke (laughs) um if you will that's right (laughs) Yeah,
0: um, (laughs) I mean, uh, the other thing I guess you could do with this is, like, Anakin is obviously the son. Like, he was born of a virgin, um, you know. uh, (laughs) I mean, like, you guys guys know the whole thing, and it's one of those things, like, (laughs) even when I think about it now, I'm like, man, George, you just... Who some writers use subtext and they're all i know some writers who use subtext and they're all cowards and at least on that one
1: man jesus christ <laughs> literally jesus christ <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it, it'd be very curious to see i mean this is sort of um my my ongoing uh gripe with how um the sort of post uh the idea of a post-Skywalker future of Star Wars is there's a lot that could be compelling and interesting. It's the most unexplored space in present canon, and I get that they want to avoid um, how much the, the Legends canon and Expanded Universe canon went into. Like, uh, You want to avoid the on Vong, right? You probably don't <laughs> want to go back and retread that whole thing or the New Republic, but you probably should, um, given how things have ended in Rise of Skywalker, pick a point far enough away where the the legends are true thing that moment that they like sort of crystallized in force awakens we see that but then there's like texts and people who follow these things it's not it's followers more than a generation removed and that's kind of what you need to make this all work and we'll see in those interpretations right is is anakin the uh, john the baptist to luke's jesus where does ray fit into this there's Mm -hmm. there's stories you can tell and ways you can play with canon and i imagine given um who would be writing these stories if they get written that they would borrow on these tropes in the same way but i think it's uh, kind of interesting to look at um, the living force and the cosmic force um, and any relation to a given chosen one as uh, existing parts of the universe in debate before getting codified by either um, the people creating canon um, for the universe, right, like the like the actual like staffers in real life doing this stuff, or and, or in universe getting codified into canon, we're sort of in that moment where the things are happening before it becomes, and this is how the texts remember mm-hmm. them, um, which is neat. It's a it's a it's a place to explore in. But uh, if they do go into the future, I imagine they'll take some attempt to to codify it. And they might go entirely. Away from a trinitarian reading of Star yeah. Wars, but we'll see. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I think uh, I think regardless of what they do with the Chosen One, you'll always have the like the the duality reading—the living force and the cosmic force. Like that's just kind of how the story has been built out um, for years now. So I don't, I don't really think you can get away from those two. I mean, they might emphasize it a lot less, but you know. Anyway. Uh, yeah, talking about uh, the Cosmic Force. Um, oh, and uh, before we get started, I guess, since this is a people's history of the Old Republic, I will say that uh, the Switch port of Knights of the Old Republic came out yesterday. Um, so if you're looking to uh, play that for the first time, you can play it now. Or you can wait until the remake comes out sometime next year, probably, maybe. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Last time, we started discussing the cosmic force. Of the two aspects of the Force, the Cosmic Force is the godlike entity that has a will of its own for how the galaxy should operate. The other aspect, the Living Force, is more or less a consistent energy field that exists throughout the universe, not unlike gravity or, I guess, potentially dark matter in our universe as we discussed a couple of episodes back. The Cosmic Force seeks to enact its will by achieving balance in the Force, though what this nebulous concept actually means is never made clear. Despite us not really knowing uh, exactly what balance is, we do know that whatever else may be said, the Cosmic Force does prefer the good guys over the baddies. Uh, As we talked about last episode, only Force users who die in the light side or are redeemed can become one with the Force upon death. And despite the prequels and the Clone Wars animated series introducing the idea that a Force user needs training to retain their consciousness after death, both the original and sequel trilogies seem to imply this isn't an ironclad rule either. After all, Anakin becomes a force ghost in episode 6, despite not having the training. When the training idea was introduced in the prequels, it was retconned that Yoda quickly taught him this power between the time he died and the time uh, his ghost appeared. Which is about uh, the most paper-thin retcon imaginable, but here we are. Then, in Episode 9, Rey hears the disembodied voice voices of former Jedi Masters who died years before, including Aayla Secura, Luminara Unduli, Mace Windu, and others. We know that these Jedi never learned the secret to preserving their consciousness like Yoda did because he learned it mere weeks before Order 66 and kept it quiet because the other Jedi Masters had already claimed it was an impossible folly. Kanan Jarus's voice also appears at the end, and we know he wasn't taught that ability before Order 66 either, but he could have been taught it by Yoda uh, when they if they communed via the World Between Worlds. But even if you hate Episode 9 and think it should be destroyed from existence and eradicated from eradicated from the canon forever, the idea that the consciousness of long-dead force users can learn new abilities after becoming one with the force appears elsewhere in canon. Notably, in later canon stories, Qui-Gon Jinn learned how to take on the appearance of a Force ghost by the time of the events of the New Hope, even though he it couldn't do so in the Clone Wars. He states explicitly that he, he can't do that yet. Um, but, the other, but the other and far more obvious way the Force favors the good guys is by redemption, which is what we're going to spend most of this episode talking about so kelsey uh redemptions the uh who the um the 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 least controversial topic in star wars history thread closed after etc etc (laughs) etc
1: yeah yeah no it's it's fine it's definitely um (laughs) i mean this draws on the strong Western tradition of uh, it's okay if you do the right thing <laughs> at the very end, and then um, you get there. We can that we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, so, the cosmic force appears to make value and moral judgments on the souls of individuals, much like a god sitting in judgment in the afterlife. It allows the souls of Sith and other Dark Side users to be redeemed or saved when they perform selfless acts of sacrifice um, to protect loved ones and the galaxy generally. Um, and so this is something, um, the deathbed, sort of the deathbed, uh, confession or baptism or redemption is a long, um, tradition. The Con- Emperor Constantine, who I'm going to just keep bringing up today, apparently, um, famously refused to get baptized, um, until his deathbed because it, he uh, knew that the job of emperor was one uh, full of, of sin and authoring sin. And so he waited um, to the last moment. I mean, he was he's the one who, who formally Christianized the Roman Empire, but he also waited to the last moment to um, go full in, um, hoping that the, the ritual of baptism, um, as he understood it, right, would wash his sins away and he would be welcomed um into heaven despite you know having been an emperor um and that's kind of we i mean we don't see it we have yet to see it in star wars canon who knows where they'll do after a uh, rise of skywalker but we have not seen palpatine himself redeemed but we've certainly seen veda redeemed and it's something where uh we at the time of his redemption in uh return of the jedi he's only canonically like Co-authored the death of a planet, and uh, personally authored the deaths of lots of soldiers. But we know in Canon, and then we later see in re- uh, in Revenge of the Sith the 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 children murders, or before that, right, the raiders of an entire of entire Tuscan villages. That's a tremendous amount of blood on his hands and lightsaber to mm. um, to sort of have redeemed, and it's uh, a very mm it brings to mind the Constantine, like, uh, mm-hmm. deathbed baptism because it's that kind of thing where, oh, well, his last act counts, and therefore he gets to have a, a redemptive force ghost at the end, um, which is certainly certainly uh, one tradition tells stories like that, but it feels very in line with uh, specific tellings of Christianity in the Western tradition.
0: Yeah, it, like, so... Um... I don't know I think I've talked about it on here before. Um I was raised uh in evangelical Christianity. Um I'm no longer a Christian. That's neither here nor there, but um it, the the redemption that Anakin has in in uh Return of the Jedi and then, you know, basically every subsequent redemption in the rest of the series, you know, they bear a a very stark likeness to um evangelical uh the 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 deathbed confession of of evangelical christianity because even going beyond like what constantine did where like constantine's deathbed confession at least involved a like symbolic baptism or, or something like that many evangelical uh um christian churches teach that uh you know you don't even have to be baptized you can just confess your sins at the end and you will as long as you do that like um uh um truly and, and you actually mean it uh you'll go to heaven um after you die and it's just like um and i mean that's that's just like what 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 happens with anakin you know he's been uh the worst guy on or I mean, I guess the second worst guy in the galaxy for, you know, 20 some odd, 23 years. And he's like, he does this one thing at the end and he kills the, he kills the emperor. He, you know, and again, remember this one thing at the end is killing one person. Now it's killing one very bad person, but it's not like he did that. And then like subsequently also obliterated the entire, you know, imperial war apparatus through some means he just killed one guy to save his son which while is a very human you know maybe a very human thing that we can understand you know protecting your son from a a crazed mass murderer it's you know it's not you're not in any way doing like for like to like make up for the fact that you murdered a bunch of like literally just murdered a bunch of children um uh you know years before and i mean i George's he's called him his religious philosophy his personal religious philosophy like a form of methodist buddhist uh thing and that's always been very funny to me but you could definitely see the methodist part right here with the redemption and it's like man I'll give him this but he knew that like if you're going to have a chosen one and you're going to make that and you're going to make the most of that redemption there at the end like you just have to absolutely destroy um, you know make them do the worst shit imaginable because like if it, 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 on the one hand you're like yeah like okay maybe don't have him kill kids but to me it makes sense because he that that's what make things like that and I mean obviously it's storytelling but things like that are what make the redemption mean you know mean even more because you're like wow he's a really bad guy but then in the same time they also kind of cheapen it so you know <laughs> what are you gonna do, right?
1: Yeah, it's a weird. I mean, it's it's a it's interesting because it certainly resonates, right? I don't think there's anyone who like, especially seeing Return of the Jedi, felt right. Like this is a this is a thing that the more the canon mm-hmm. got flushed out, the more that uh, Vader's crimes moved from um, implied or subtext to literal text. Um, the more that happens, the the uh, starker it makes the redemption appear. Um, also, that like the the changing of it from the the original actor to mm-hmm. Hayden Christensen in, um, and at and the updates. There's, there's a lot a going idea, on. There, but I think, way. one of the things that really. Like... <laughs> I mean, it's interesting too, right? I mean, I think that also uh, changes sort of the the canonicity of it because is it Vader the old man redeemed or is it? Anakin the uh the young Jedi who could have gone the other way redeemed um and that's a certainly I mean it's obviously the choice you take because you have this actor and this actor is this age Mm -hmm. when you're filming but it is a very interesting I think move to to make and to talk about why what part of your life gets redeemed do you get redeemed to your point of your like your last viable point before sin? because even in that version he's still the the Vader Ooh. who slaughtered all the Tuscans, even if it is somehow reverting to a form before he, uh, slaughtered all the younglings. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: no, I think, I think that's, a, I think you're making a good point. I like for me, I just th- thought about it on more. I just think about it more on like a, um, like a practical level. Like, um, you know, like, I mean, there's obviously a reason that, um, Sebastian, uh, shit, I forgot the, his actor, the original, uh, uh, actor who who was the Force Ghost at the end of Return of the Jedi. I've forgotten his name. My bad. Um, I, I understand like why they used him then, but like using Hayden makes more sense to me for two reasons. One, we like we don't know what that actor looked like whole. We knew what he looked like as like a burned up husk inside. Who's been living inside a gefilte fish jar for you know twenty fucking years. Um, and. and second because like to me like okay if if we are accepting that these redemptions happen and that they're real which by the way we have to accept that because i mean that's literally been baked into this series since before either i or kelsey or most of the people listening to this were born um so you know it's just kind of one of those things uh if we do accept that is that that it's real then to me like you would like pick like how you want to look you know, like they would pick, and like if I was Anakin, I'd be like, Look, I want to look like my young self before I became this like decayed husk whose like skin is sloughing off his bones in this thing. You know, like I don't know, it's practical. You, you, however, of course, uh, you know, came in with a much more nuanced and like, um, and good take on it and i'm like yeah i would just want to look like i was hot like when i was like 23 of course i would look like that and you're like well the philosophical underpinnings and i'm like yeah hayden christensen's good looking i don't know what to tell you
1: i mean that's that's extremely fair if i could choose to look like uh hayden christensen uh circa the early 2000s or sebastian shaw Shaw, circa uh, 1983 i know I know it's. I know. I kept wanting late. to say Sebastian um, so Stan, have... and I was like, "No, that's the guy who
0: plays uh, Bucky in uh, anyway uh, in."
1: Uh... And and a, a frequent audience or a, a fan cast for Luke between uh, Return of the Jedi and TFA. Look, we'll he, see if that ever he looks happens. he looks like that anyway. Uh, not, not to get down that road, but yeah. <laughs> so in um. Speaking of uh, of redemptions and the sequel yes. trilogy, in the Rise of Skywalker, um, Ben Solo is given a similar redemption after turning his back on the First Order and his role as uh, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren. Um, we know for seven years Ben Solo gave into the dark side and he became Kylo Ren, committing unspeakable horrors like his grandfather, and more so, right? Vader only ever killed one planet. Kylo killed I don't know a half dozen. It's mm. Yeah. Many, several, and many. Was, don't forget uh, about he the kill and kill
0: to get Star Killer in the first place. Anyway, yeah.
1: Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, he sat and watched as the Hosnian system was destroyed by Starkiller Base. He murdered children and in innocents. He destroyed his uncle's new Order of Jedi. He killed his own father in cold blood, turned his back on Rey and a shot at uh, the redemption in the throne room, and more. Uh, but after talking to a manifestation of Han in his own head, crucially not a force ghost for reasons very good um, reasons, Dave. Kylo realized. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Kylo realized his error and vowed to help Rey on Exegol um, then he killed his old Knights of Ren buddies, he stopped the reborn Palpatine, and he literally gave his life to save Rey, so at least he did a bit more to earn his uh, redemption than Vader um, though there's certainly it reads, it can read it as shallow, and we also get to see his crimes and redemption is c- compressed into a three movie mm-hmm. Arc where Vader at least has the the spacing of over six films. Yeah,
0: um, and I mean Kylo, like, look, uh, you know, I, the redemption is fine to me. Not because I, I think they could have done a much better job with it. The Redemption is fine because, like I said, it's all baked in. This kind of stuff happens. And to be completely honest, if you go back and listen to episode 6.10 of our series on Knights of the Old Republic, you can hear me and Kelsey very clearly predict exactly what was going to happen with Ben Solo and Rey at the end of the rise of Skywalker two months before it happened. And I believe we basically closed out with the idea of, look, you may not like it, but this is how redemption works in this universe. And the redemptions are usually, usually incredibly shallow. Um, and and by shallow, I don't mean that, um, you know, the idea of redemption is bad or anything like that, but like, come on. If a person has killed this many people, in our modern conceptions of justice and things like that, it is, um, uh, it's shallow. Like, you know, you, 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 you would probably, you would be mocked and, and shamed hopefully if like Henry Kissinger came up to you and was like, I'm sorry for everything I ever did. Will you forgive me? And you're like, yeah, sure. Like that's not how it works. Like, and that's, that shouldn't be how it works. But again, that, you know, that's what it is (laughs) you know it's been this way since return of the jedi and it is what it is and we can't you know the only thing we can do is hopefully in the future get redemptions that are better because i like i mean kelsey and i've talked about this off the air before but like if they had done something where like ray had to like bring ben back to the resistance like after after something and then they all got together to go fight palpatine because they had to come up like because the resistance had to like confront the fact that he had done all these things. And he's like, look, you may not trust me, but I'm going to go kill this guy. And then, you know, I can prove it or what, like having scenes like that makes it much less quote unquote shallow in my mind. But you know, if you're a Raylo, do not yell at me about this again. We predicted exactly what was going to happen, said they were going to kiss, et cetera, et cetera. So don't yell at us. Please.
1: <laughs> There's also, I mean, one of the things that we know and, um, if you if you've been uh listening along uh, spoilers for um several knights of the old republic mm-hmm. games but we know that star wars can handle complex redemptive arcs um outside the original trilogy in interesting ways right that is the uh the key to revan's whole story um is good then bad then good um at cosmic scales in every sense of it um and it's interesting to think about the the force, and especially the, the, this cosmic force, being so invested um, in specific examples of these these redemptions, um, and it kind of puts it at some of a contrast with the a, a living force that cares deeply and flows through all all being sort of passively, right? If we're if we're pulling apart. Uh, George Lucas's Methodist Buddhism, right? The Buddhism brings him the living force and the Methodism brings him the cosmic force. Um, And you have this... The cosmic force is very concerned with specific pieces on the board and unconcerned with everyone else. And that's how we get the redemption woven into this this whole uh, franchise.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's... um, Yeah, it... Revan you're exactly right Revan is the classic example or one of the classic examples of where this is done well and part of that is because like you invest what you want to invest into Revan like in these games and so you know you can you know Revan did all these bad things as a Sith Lord but if you play throughout the entire game you know like you you can be a paragon of virtue you know your Revan can be you know, the, the ultimate, uh, embodiment of, of, of being a good Jedi and a virtue and of whatever. And, you know, it, it can mean a lot more because you have more time with it and you can like invest these things into it. But the, but even just the like general idea of Revan was that Revan was redeemed because, um, Bastila just wouldn't let him die because she very literally believed with all of her heart that, the Jedi don't kill their prisoners and Revan lay unconscious and she could have left him there to die, but she didn't. And she dragged his ass out of there. And, and then, I mean, and then the Jedi council, I mean, basically mind wiped him, Like, you know that's how I read it there I think are people who kind of read it differently but to me it's always like yeah no they basically just gave him amnesia on purpose and they you know stuck him back in there in order to like use him as a vector to find like the source the the Star Forge, the source of the Sith power and it's like that is just utter nonsense and just everything but at the same time like it makes his redemption more possible and more uh meaningful because like you could be like okay i'm gonna do this and you could say like sure they wiped his brain but after they wiped his brain he acted like a good guy or she acted like a, you know or they whichever revenue you choose to use um you know and i think that's a better i think that's a better redemption to me maybe that's just because i'm pro i'm partial to you know kotor but you know
1: The other thing I think that sort of um, makes the KOTOR one sing, but besides the fact that you have the, the video game aspect of you are playing through it and then you get to realize that you've been playing through as as the figure at the heart of this story, um, is that you get to take the, the time to show what it looks like to relearn, mm-hmm. to learn from scratch and do good, um, to sort of rebuild from that. Basically, there is something... Um, that really, it still falls very cleanly in this, um, in this Christian tradition of redemption, right? Where you, you wash yourself clean of your, your, you are redeemed. The, the the redemption comes not through acts. And then after it, you have a changed person who does good, um, and does good. And that's sort of like the, that's the whole, that's the, that's the mm-hmm. grace and amazing grace, right? Like that's the, the thing is that that's the, the saved wretch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is the oh? I was certainly involved in the my my hymn about being involved in the human trafficking is raising lots of questions about being involved <laughs> in human trafficking. But that's the thing, yeah. In it is that you the 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 redemption comes. The redemption happens, and then because that magnanimous um, forgiveness of the uh, has been extended you can do differently. Um, And Revan is a clean example of it because you start not knowing about, you know that that someone in the past did these things and then later you learn it's you, um, which is a deeply compelling story. Um, And it's also a way to show that the redemption works because it sort of, if the cosmic force has an agenda, it is driving. Um, By being able to let people act as they want them to in the future by freeing them of the burdens of the past, um, it could do. It could sort of. It's a pre. It can. It can redeem and then let the thing mm-hmm. play out, um, which is an interesting choice, and it, it lines up obviously with a lot of the sort of religious ideas that that Lucas is is embedding into this text and that sort of, uh, suffused the culture and the writing of this whole series. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and you know, we Kelsey brought up the the good redemption of Revan, uh, but. Another example of, you know, just to, just to show you that, you know, we, we got the, the redemptions of Vader and Kylo Ren in the movies, but just to show you that this kind of thing, you know, extends into the expanded universe and all of this, like the, the, we also get in KOTOR, the most egregious redemption in all of star Wars. Um, and it's uh, the redemption of Ajunta Paul. So in Legends, Paul was the, le- the leader of the Dark Jedi who rebelled against the Jedi Order and were defeated and exiled in 6900 BBY following the Hundred Years' Darkness. Nice. Uh, after landing on Korriban, Paul became the, f- the first Dark Lord of the Sith and formed the Sith Empire along with other exiled Dark Jedi and members of the Sith species indigenous to Korriban and other nearby worlds. Paul eventually died and was entombed in the Valley of the Dark Lords, but his spirit remained tethered to the mortal plane, unable to taste the sweet release of death. So Paul remained locked in his tomb for nearly 2,900 years until Revan arrived on Korriban, redeemed many of the Sith there, and entered the tomb. Therein, Paul admitted that he had come to regret his turn to the dark side and founding the Sith Empire, and Revan, being sufficiently convinced that Paul was being truthful, convinced Paul to let go of his remaining anger and hatred and become one with the Force. In doing so, Ajunta Paul was redeemed. If this sounds stupid to you, you are not alone. In Knights of the Old Republic 2, Kraya mocks Paul's redemption as hollow and facile, and yet another reason she distrusts the will of the Force. So yeah they they do they do get worse than, than vader and kylo if those are shallow to you they they get worse there's also uh what was the guy with the sunraiser oh what was his name kip uh kip duran yeah kip duran yeah. yeah he was yeah, like he was redeemed because han liked him a lot like han was like man i like this kid and they were like okay and the force was like okay cool if han says he's cool then that's fine <laughs> <laughs> noted
1: judge of good character han solo exactly
0: exactly. so um i think we've kind of beat the redemption horse to death uh here um the only one i the only one i would add is that uh if you want a good example of this um then you need to look to rebels um and that's where you get uh oh shit what is his name i'm forgetting all kinds of names today the guy the the imperial guy who gets redeemed in rebels he's friends with zeb quote-unquote friends with zeb oh, oh Callus. Callus. Yeah. yeah so Callus is a great one he's a good example of uh of a good redemption done in star wars because you know he's like could try it and he tries to uh uh uh, uh he, he tries to like uh, commit subterfuge against the empire and he does all this sort of stuff. And so, and um, people, you know, at the time kind of complained about it and they were like, you know, he didn't deserve redemption. And Dave Filoni was like, look, I mean a lot of these people don't deserve redemption that's not the you know that's not the point and i mean like you know we've called it shallow but at the same time he's right like the point is that the, the point of star wars is that you know it's a morality tale it's a morality play about you know how good triumphs over evil and one part of that you know in every you know, most traditions anyway is that you know you have to have forgiveness
1: and so you know there you go so anyway uh, yeah. And it's one of the. Callus is a really. I think just to, to expand on that just a tiny bit, um, he is a really good example of sort of the instrumental nature of the redemption because he has. He does the thing that we kind of see in a lot of like sort of uh, stories about like um about security States where he figures out that he is in trouble. There's also like there, there there's parts right. he has a precipitating moment of humanity where he is trapped and has to rely on an enemy. They have to rely on each other to escape. But he also has a, um, he's worried for his own survival within the the military he served. And so he looks for a way out. Um, And that's sort of the impetus. Those two things are the impetus for the redemption. But then when it happens, um, it doesn't like erase the past of his things, but he does spend the rest of the, the show and uh, working to expand and advance the goals of the rebels um, with his with his knowledge and things. And so you have this sort of play where in order to win, and this is sort of the broader story of um, when you notice, um, you can see this a lot with like, with insurgent, um, insurgent forces taking over, is that um, they have to rely on, on people who were once fighting against them to reach a critical mass to uh govern a country or or be a ruling power. And you don't get there if you don't have some mechanism for people who had been enemies and had done harm to switch and then be seen as trusted and on the side. Um, and that's not necessarily like the force is doing it all. There's a lot, there's a lot of like institutional dynamics and all that. And obviously I'm re- we're reading a ton into into a show but i think that's where um i think it's a neat example of what what the people who had harm done to them get from facilitating such a redemption or from accepting that a redemption is possible is you get a powerful ally and it ultimately makes your goal much closer yeah
0: yeah exactly exactly um so uh you know Good, good talk on redemption. Good job, everyone. Uh, If you still have questions after that, good Lord, I don't even know what they would be. But um, yeah, Uh, redemption in Star Wars. Once again, land of contrast. Um, uh, So yeah, another, another, as or another part of the cosmic force are the wills. Everybody remembers the wills, you know, that thing that gets talked about and, you know, rarely described. So, uh, the wills, um, originally George Lucas conceived of them as microscopic single celled sentient life forms that acted collectively as what we would consider a god. The wills would have acted as the sentience behind the force that gave it a will and would have provided destinies for every living thing in the galaxy, though individual beings would still have free will to make their own decisions and discard this destiny if they wanted, not unlike how Anakin ended up in episode three. The will of the wills, ha, was then communicated to living beings through midichlorians and the living force. However, these wills that now appear in canon. Uh, however, these are not the w- wills that now appear in canon. All right, there. We go.
1: Right. So, in canon, the wills are sentient, incorporeal beings that act as watchers and record the events that occur in the galaxy far, far away. They are seemingly immortal and have an omniscient level of knowledge about the stories and lives of characters who appear in Star Wars. They record these events in a large volume known as the Journal of the Wills, which basically just records all the stories we see, read, and play with from the uh, Star Wars universe. They have their own favorite stories and opinions about which characters they like best and may even write competing narratives of the events. In one story, two wills argue over which story to record in the journal next and who it should focus on, just like we do as fans. On very rare occasions, some wills will interact with beings, leading them to answers or giving them knowledge. Qui-Gon Jinn learned the method for preserving consciousness from a shaman of the wills, which may or may not be one of the beings known as Force Priestesses that taught Yoda the same ability in Season 6 of The Clone Wars
0: yeah the the wills are um <laughs> they're uh very mysterious and you know we don't really we see these for these like uh, almost mythical force priestesses in uh the clone wars when yoda goes to learn how to do uh how to pr- preserve his consciousness but um it, it uh you know, we don't really know if they're actually wills or just oracles for the wills or, vo- or you know, voices. It, it, it's unclear. You know, all that's clear is that the wills, you know, kind of like watch over, you know, they're like the watchers. Um, you know, they can see everything and, and talk about it. And I mean, uh, they like a, they fight with each other. They get in arguments they're uh yeah they're little bitches about the canon just like everyone else so you know <laughs> uh a cautionary tale for us all about not getting too wrapped up in the canon um yeah um you know d- and despite the fact that the wills have changed from the god of the cosmic force to watchers and record keepers of the events of star of the stars universe and occasional oracles to force users the current canon interpretation of the cosmic force largely mirrors Lucas's original conception of the wills. The cosmic force has a will and destiny for everything, but it's up to individual beings to discern and follow that will. Though, as we've noted a few times, the cosmic force isn't simply a deist entity that sets things in motion and leaves them be. It it intervenes in the form of sheer of luck or sheer chance to push things where you want them, where it wants them to be.
1: And that is how we get to talking about solo <laughs> luck, <laughs> which, if there is anything that if you if you're familiar with anything in the Star Wars universe, sort the, the way especially that they've tried to um, instrumentalize it in in games from like the RPG to other things, um, like the tabletop RPG and stuff, you have to figure out how do you have characters who are uh, just really lucky despite being uh, scoundrels get by, and so. Um, it's funny that we call it luck in Star Wars, because it's as it, but that's how it's perceived, um, as sort of as the will of the cosmic force made manifest. Even little things we would casually call luck, like winning a bet on a game of chance, can be attributed to the force. Uh, this seems silly, but in Legends, as part of his effort to rebuild the Jedi, Luke sends out Lando, R2, and 3PO to help find four sensitive individuals, and one of the criteria they use is going to casinos and back alleys to find beings with preternatural gambling luck, which also sounds like Lando pitching this mm. to Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it, it, was, it was totally it, Luke's idea,
0: totally. Lando was just like, yeah, I'm going to go gamble. You two go find some lucky guy, I don't know.
1: <laughs> so it seems unlikely that the outcome of literally every dice, roll, and horse race in the galaxy is controlled by the Force, but at least some of it is. And this manipulation or creation of luck extends outside the realm of force sensitives though, um, as we can see it with Han Solo, who is not force sensitive, meaning he can't use or be taught to use the force. If he did have the force, he would have appeared as a force ghost to Kylo on, on the death star 2 ruins instead of just a memory. Um, There's a whole debate over whether anyone can be taught to use the Force, but we'll do all that later. Um, Instead, Han appears to be something altogether different, a non-Force user whom the Force nonetheless uses to achieve its goals. Typically, the Force is mostly focused on the destinies and actions of Force users who can draw upon it, but Han is, well, different. He's just really, really, really lucky, more so than Lando, Hondo, and Dash Rendar combined. Or maybe it's more correct to say that they are lucky, but Han has Solo luck. Really, just for a second, think about all the near misses and lucky breaks in Han's life that were needed to get him into position to help destroy the Death Star and eventually defeat the Empire. Hell, the Force was working hard just to get him through the events of Solo in one piece. Think of the events of the film Solo to see how lucky Han was and how it not only aids him, but those around him. And even if the film solo packs many of the big events of Han's life into a real short time frame, he's still insanely lucky, regardless. And also, he was just as lucky in doing most of the things in the Legends continuity too, albeit on a broader timescale.
0: Yeah, so Solo luck is basically like every like y- yeah, Han like he he has some bad breaks and 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 everything, but like. every everything in han's life is just sheer luck like pulling him through like he was sent to in in the movie solo he was sent to Mimban to fight which is that mud planet at the very beginning which is like considered a death sentence that's where they sent problem uh problem soldiers who they just wanted to get rid of um he you know he he evaded the uh like he invaded the imperial police chasing him on Corellia by finding like a imperial desk clerk who was willing to buy his story and just let him in and give him a fake last name instead of like telling him to get lost and having the um and having the imperial police execute him out back like uh, you know and it's like uh you you just you go through and you see all these things and he's like you know uh, And Han's like, you know, it's not luck or, or, you know, I've never seen anything in the forest. I just got luck. I got luck on my side all the time, you know, always like surviving everything by the, by the skin of his teeth. And yeah. And I mean, it's, yeah, that's, that's, that's solo luck in a nutshell. He's like, he gets into a He gets into a jam and he's getting out of that jam. And I mean, even when he died, he like went to his death willingly uh I mean, at least in the canon he never died in legends because you know or we never see it you know heroes heroes don't die man they don't die uh anyway <laughs> but the <laughs> i guess the the um the kind of like mirror or reverse aspect of of, of solo luck is is from zane carrick um and so solo luck Uh, is interesting because we can see how the cosmic force moves people where it needs them to be to fulfill the destiny, uh, to, to fulfill the destiny for them. But what if someone could actually manipulate that luck? Uh, well, Zane Carrick can sort of, uh, long ago in series four of the show, we covered the Knights of the Old Republic comics, which focus on the adventures of a failed Jedi Padawan named Zane Carrick and a delightful cast of characters. For much of the series, Zane is presented as the ultimate screw-up Jedi. His Force ability was only marginal, 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 He almost always unintentionally fucked something up when using the Force and was generally a big goof. Every time Zane tried to use the Force to influence events or objects, any good luck he had would immediately be followed by bad luck that would reverse his fortunes almost immediately, only for Zane to have another stroke of luck to get them out of the jam. Carrick had always described his marginal, had always described his marginal force talent as a learning disability, and it may have been to some extent. But his friend Marn Heinegriff was the only one to see Zane's ability for what it truly was. The ability to see where and how the balance of the force would shift and use that knowledge to get a favorable outcome. Zane wasn't slow or an idiot, he just didn't quite understand the best way to use the force as it manifested within him. But once Marin explained it to him, Zane began to see the points where... uh, to see where the balance points in the force were and acted to make them tip in his favor. He went on to use this to defeat a mad scientist, an organization of slavers, and Mandalorians during key battles late in the Mandalorian Wars. So basically, the the points where the Force would intervene to give Han Solo luck, Zane could see that and see that through the Force. You know, however you define see. Um, and if he could see that in time, he could use the force to affect the way that luck flipped. So like all basically always giving himself and his friends good luck. Now that didn't happen when he died, um, on guitar when Darth Nihilus ate the whole planet, but you know, you can't do much about, you know, what's luck in, in the, in the face of a hungry, hungry boy. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Zane always love Zane. Zane Carrick. Good, good guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, solo luck. It's
1: interesting. Well, it's also an interesting sort of way to think about um, rather than like it's sort of, how do you, do you do you sort of reverse ascribe a a causal mechanism to someone experiencing the world in this way, right? Because Zane's sort of thing, it's the same thing, right? Is that, oh, the luck happens weird around me and then he can see it and it's suddenly like, here are the things you can do. It's a way to have him interact with the Force without the Force being an entity moving pieces mm-hmm. on the board. It's sort of more setting up the board and then revealing the rules of the board to uh, to some people in the universe and not others, <laughs> right? And if that's among other differences, right? Like Han sort of worked through things with luck because he knew it would work out, but he didn't really have the 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 vision of what mm-hmm. it was, where Carrick does. It's a neat way to ascribe a half activist cosmic (laughs) force, if you will, into it, right? Where it it wants things there, but it doesn't want it it'll it'll set out a path for you, but it's not gonna like move people on it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I like that the the selectivist force. It's like, yeah, things gotta get done, but do I have to come on, man. I don't wanna do this shit. Come on. Come on, bro.
1: I gave you a map I I gave you a map.
0: I gave you force powers. Come on. And the living force is like, bro. That's what I do. You had no shit. Anyway, they're like fighting roommates. That's that's how I'm imagining them now. Two two gods just fighting with each other in their apartment. They're two small apartment of gods.
1: I, right. These these is clearly this is clearly George Lucas's dorm room manifestation yes. of of his internal yes. god. Um, and that's sort of where it is, right? That's kind of how we have this understanding of of the force as active in people's lives. And it's sort of all around. It's sort of activist. It takes some active moves. It cares about some people much, much more than others. Um, and yet, and yet it is still seen as sort of a fabric in which every living being in the galaxy exists. It's an interesting um, concept. I think it's durable mm-hmm. in part because of how, how flexible um, it is that every time we get to sort of see it stretched, we get to, to conclusions that aren't necessarily great with like some of the, the underwhelming redemptions or we get to um, fun places like, oh, oh, if you have a map to where luck matters, then suddenly you can make luck matter way more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, so we, we've tried to like kind of just give this overview of the like the cosmic force and everything like that and, and the living force. Um because the you know the the force does uh you know it, it is it is its own separate thing and it is a way that you know that uh it is this like constant thing that 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 is present throughout uh all the star wars movies and everything but like it a lot of times like uh things like balance and um you know redemption and stuff like that can you know confuse and drop in there so we just kind of wanted to talk about all this stuff and kind of pick it apart there's you know like there's no um <laughs> you know that there's no like uh like like grand call at the end here you know to, to like fix something because you know it, it it just is what it is and we just kind of have to like interpret what they've given us um uh given us to go with it's just you know it's part of the bigger part of the bigger narrative and how they kind of it's basically how people have been working for 40 some odd years to like unpack all of the like weird idiosyncrasies that went into like the original trilogy and uh made it something that we all know and love today and you know that's kind of where we are we're just you know compiling and uh and discussing it yeah yeah and uh we yeah. Next time I guess next time we're uh talk about maybe like the politics of like the Sith, the Sith Empires. Yeah, I mean everybody wants to hear about that. Everybody loves talking about the Sith. The bad guys. Ooh, scary. Ooh.
1: <laughs> well, I think they're a nice a nice interesting character point too, if we have this thing driving towards a better universe. What is what is the role of evil mm. in the universe? We'll get into it then. I'm just we're just seeding topics mm, right now. Yeah. Um but
0: yeah exactly um yeah so uh thank next time we'll come back and we'll talk about that but uh but for now just thank you so much for listening um I- if you want to you uh can subscribe to our patreon patreon.com slash uh you can ask us questions like we answered earlier get in on the discord and listen to patroning uh exclusive episodes uh you can find us on twitter or uh, or email us um yeah uh kelsey where uh, where can people find you
1: Sure, you can find me on Twitter at AthertonKD for short-form nonsense, and you can find me at Substack at AthertonKD for uh, longer-form, somewhat less nonsense. Yeah, yeah, and you can find me uh,
0: at LucasAmazing. It's just all nonsense all the time, um, and you can find my other podcast, uh, We're Not So Different, uh, wherever you're listening to this right now. Uh, but other than that, again, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time.